Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Word on the Hill. And I am Scott Powell. No, you're not. You wish you were. I do. No, it's you don't. Ju- no, you don't want to be me. Believe me, this is a mess. You know, I was, th- I, was talking, I was talking with somebody the other day about how... Um, hold on, we should finish introducing ourselves. <laughs> you are not Scott Powell, I am. You are Father Peter Musset, and we are the Lanky Guys. Thank you for... I noticed last week we actually never quite finished our introduction. <laughs> we just started it and then we got sidetracked and we never came back. Yeah, that's okay. So well, just so you know, now you know who we are. <clears throat> but I, I was talking with somebody... Because your mom's making you listen to this. About how easy it is to um, go through and think that you want to be somebody else. Oh, yeah. The grass well, is always greener. It um, is. And you're like, oh my gosh, they're pretty, they're smart, they're handsome. That they're, does describe got, me in, they, to a T. They got big muscles. Yeah. And intellectual muscles, but dude, the price you got to pay to be like another person sure. is is like you, you never know what kind of price you got to pay for muscles like mine. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I mean, and I don't want to know. No, you it's don't. Scary. You don't know. Want to know how much? Um, how much uh, I've gone through to get the muscles in the shape that they're in on my imagine. body? I can't even imagine. So here's the moral of the story, brothers yes. and sisters. You don't want to be us. No, as much as you might think you do. While you listen to us, wow, those guys are awesome. You don't want to be us. We're, we're a mess. Just be you. Door be to, the best you that you can be. You, you want to know one of the secrets of, of my life? Dude, why'd you, you give me the weird mics? I didn't do the setup today. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. working on the bookstore. Yeah, we, 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 we at we least contracted it out. Contracted <laughs> out to Ty. Oh, but what was I saying? Why You distracted me. Uh, being the best you can be? No, wanting to be somebody else. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. Oh, but my arm, so it's muscles <laughs> in the shape that they're <laughs> that they're in, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm there. I uh, I uh, took a really long trip on my motorcycle the other day. Yeah, and uh, and my muscles are like very much not used to uh, you know rolling the throttle, and uh, and so my arm literally. I can barely like grasp things like the really? like the opposing thumb motion that we make because we're humans and we have opposing thumbs. Thanks be to God. Um, <laughs> that gesture right there, I can't really do anything with that particular gesture because really? yeah, like I can't zip up my jacket. Oh, I, can, I was I trying to think of practical nose. uses for that. You can't pick your nose. Nope. You don't really have to close the fingers to pick your nose. You can just shove it up there and. Dude, I mean, I could even press buttons on the remote. I didn't have even. I, that's really? how little. Yeah, that's I felt crazy. like I was like doing CrossFit, where basically you just exhaust the muscles until they can have nothing else in them. Wow, that's intense. It's actually on a motorcycle, not in a tent. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. I can't. I can't. You can't do what? I don't know. That's just too you can't. Far. You can't laugh at me. So I was carrying a big. So we did staff photos today. Father Peter is a professional photographer. If you didn't know that, he's pro style. And uh, so we did these photos, this photo shoot this morning with our whole staff. And I was carrying a bag of lighting equipment back up to the church for him. And he looked at me and he said, "It's lighter than you think." Oh, uh, and I didn't even mean to actually say which what, was what uh, made it so good. Because yeah. if you had contrived that, that. We'd all judge you in our hearts. Then it'd be a lot like the podcast. It'd be a lot like this <laughs> podcast. Oh. Just all contrived. Right. All right. What shout outs do we have this week? Um, I want to give a shout out to my mom. Oh, Marie. Because I like my mom. Dear Marie. Does I she love... listen still? She does. Okay. We didn't drive her away yet? No. My dad listened to one episode, which was like my favorite particular episode. Which one? Um, The one where I was talking about, I think it was 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time, something like that. I think it was... um. 
uh, talking about praying in Christ in the Psalms. Yeah, he didn't like it. No, he loved it. Oh, good. He, I think he he just kind of got the best one, and then that's all that he needed. That's how you should do it, probably. <laughs> End it while you're on top. Well, good. Here's to the Mussets. I have to give an apology. Um, to, a public apology to Jen Lozier. Oh, who sent yeah. us a very angry message, or at least I, I picked up the tone as angry. I, I saw that message. She said, well, I said something in last week's podcast. You saw, I talked about hot earwax, and it struck me as something that Jen Lozier would think was funny, and she corrected me and pointed out that she would never think that something like hot earwax is funny, or she wouldn't comment on it on our Facebook site because it's disgusting, which in hindsight, it really is disgusting, and Jen, I apologize for maligning you like that. So let's stick with squirrel chips for Jen. Squirrel chips. OMG, squirrel chips. Uh, and then I have some other shout-outs as well. Shout it out. All right, so Tara Williams Richard, uh, who's writing from Bettendorf, Iowa. Remember our pals Missy? Yeah. Little Missy? Yeah, Little Missy. So that gave uh, that gave Tara a big laugh. She knows Little Missy. She's friends with Little Missy, which is crazy, huh? Um, so Tara and her husband both listen to us. Um, and I guess her son Cameron, who's 11, <laughs> he has to listen to us during punishments or something. <laughs> <laughs> Send him to the corner and make him listen to Lanky Guys. Or when they're stuck in the car together. But he does think it's cool to be shouted out to. So we want to give a shout out to Cameron. Cameron, what's who up, is bro? The big one, one. Dude, um, that's sweet, man. Being 11 is a righteous age. I don't remember 11. What grade are you in when you're 11? Um, I don't know. I just remember that all the guys that I was around, well, I would hang out with like my brother's friends and they would call me the 11 year old. And I thought that I was sweet. Cause it was a palindrome. It is a palindrome. Is that why it was sweet? It was. And I believe in palindromes. So yeah, I do too. So here's to your palindrome, bro. Here's to it. Cameron, yeah. Cameron, here's to you. Um, also a shout out. So we talked about army, um, Hilario Irlam last week, who she said, I actually did a pretty good job of pronouncing that. Nice. Which is fantastic. So she has all the family in the Philippines who listen to us. Um, she also just pointed out she, that she has a good friend who is a priest in Bangalore, India, oh. who has been tuning in. So I just think it's funny to or fun to point out all the different places that people are listening to us. Dude, the intern webs is really <laughs> pretty crazy. Internet web. Dude, we're in Bangalore. Bangalore, India. Dude, that, Shout it out. <clears throat> whenever anybody asks me how the podcast going on, we'll be like, dude, we are huge in Bangalore. <laughs> Yeah, we are. It's it's it's. I think that's even cooler than saying that we're big in Japan. And Father, I don't. Army didn't didn't mention your name. So Father, if you are listening, we'd love we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so let us know what's what's shaking up in Bangalore. Awesome. All right. Let's. Uh, what do you say we get into some of these readings? People will be shocked. We're only about two minutes in on the gibberish. No. So Father, uh, not not Father Deacon Marty. Deacon Marty uh, here at the parish listened to us the other day uh-huh. to get because he was preaching on Sunday. So he's like, "Well, I'll listen to the lanky guys and find some insights <laughs> for the readings." And he could barely get through a whole thing because it was so ridiculous. Uh, so I don't know if everyone likes our gibberish at the beginning of the podcast, but some people do. Well. Here's to gibberish. Here's to Deacon Marty, who will probably never listen to us again. That's okay. Just like my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. That's what reminded me of it, by the way. All right. So the readings this week. We're in the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time, right? 27, dude. 27. Which, by the way, um, 27, 27th, uh, I is my favorite uh, number. Well, it's a derivative of my favorite number. My favorite number was 300 and something. 33. 333. Three times three times three is 27, sucko. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my math problem. (laughs) What a strange thing to say sucko to. Anyway. Well, here it is. Yeah. 27. Our first reading is from Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1. 
Two um, through a three. Dude, two, two through a four. You you know that um Habakkuk was uh, he actually had a quite a. This is good, gonna be a pun, isn't it? He had a good lifestyle. He was living really well. You want to know why? Why he had him. a cook. Oh, well, he had a cook. I have. It's like it's like he has a cold. Like, you know, <laughs> I have a cook. Oh but, yeah. Oh no. But he but lost. He based me soup. He lost everything, and then he's like, "I have a cook." I had a cook. Yeah. Had a cook. Oh. Had a cook. That's his, his cousin. Habakkuk. Okay, so that's All right, one. So Habakkuk or Habakkuk, as some people say. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. At yeah. one, two, three, and two, two, four. Dude, we already told them that. They know. Do you say that? They got their fingers there. Yeah. Oh man, it's cool. Then where are we? Responsorial Psalm number ninety-five. Psalm ninety-five, verses one through two, six through seven, eight through nine. It is a good psalm. <laughs> it's a good psalm. Lollipop. It's, it's a sweet good. trip to the salter shop. All right. Second Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter one, six through B. What? Six through B? Six through that's eight. A, that's an eight, dude. It's my, my, Man, time. my shoddy eye. You guys, Six through eight, 13 through 14. I have a cold, and I think it's affecting Scott. I've never had good eyesight. I went blind once when I was studying in Europe. <laughs> dude, <laughs> from what? Your nose on <laughs> I, dude, I don't know why that strikes me as so funny. I'm just going to let you guys know, if you think that you can catch a cold over a podcast, you can't. <laughs> I just Dude, breathing on all that of made you. me feel so dirty. <laughs> oh, no. It's like kind of like me blowing my nose. I'm sorry, everybody. Did, no did do it. All right, then we're in where? Where's our gospel? Wait, did we do Timothy? Yeah. Yeah, second you Timothy. Just, you, yeah, you said six through B. Six thir- through B. 13 <laughs> through 14. Good. Caught up. Okay, gospel of Luke 17. Chapter gospel of Luke 17, 5 through 10. 5 through 10. 5 through 10. 5 through 10. Okay, I enlarged my screen, so now I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so now we'll see things. All right. Okay. Time to talk about Habakkuk. Dude. Yeah, I really dude, I need your insight today. Yeah. Can I tell you that like Oh boy. I reviewed Uh-oh. all this stuff. This okay. is this is how funny the scriptures can be. Like they are an un inestimable. Not funny, haha, but funny. Funny, funny. Mm-hmm. My mom always used to say that to me. The well scriptures can be funny, haha. They can be. Um but you have to look they're usually puns. Puns are the main form of humor in the scriptures. Hebraic puns of of your of your. <laughs> the rest of the podcast will now be done in old English. <laughs> um, All right, so so um, it's I funny. I have Something to say funny. it's funny. It's like the 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 scriptures have no depth to them. I mean, like literally, you can plunge them until the end. You can mine them. Let's use the. Oh, so they have great now. depth. Yes, yes. Not no depth. I mean, well, no, no yeah, endless depth, endless perhaps. depth. Yes. You you can mine them continuously forever. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I'm a really bad miner because, mm. like, I'm looking and I I, I don't hit ore. <laughs> I'm glad you chose. <laughs> I'm the like, ore. where is the ore? So you gotta help me out with the habit. I'll, do, cook, I'll dude. do what I can. And, and well, I mean, because like I got some moralisms and stuff, and then the gospel, dude, it's freaking me out. I don't even know what to do with this stuff today. I think the gospel only really makes sense in light of Habakkuk. Good thing I have a cook. Ah, ah, well, you had a cook. <laughs> Habakkuk, he went upstairs. Uh, he did. Yeah, he did. Um, all right, so Habakkuk. Well, it, it, we don't know a whole lot about Habakkuk. Um, he was probably, uh, well, he was, a contemporary of Jeremiah. So if we want kind of time frame, he probably lived around the same time as Jeremiah was. Uh, we know he's a man of deep faith. He was rooted in the law and the Torah. He understood scripture. Um, he was faithful and righteous. He points this out in the text himself. So he's a righteful, right, righteous, Obviously, faithful guy. Obviously, he's a righteous, faithful guy, but not humble. He's like, because I'm a righteous, faithful guy. He's not super humble, but there's a reason for it, because his book is different than most of the prophetic books. Um, so I, I mentioned he's around the time of Jer- uh, Jeremiah. 
which is it means it puts him sometime probably in the early 600s BC. Oh, and nice. if you remember, remember I always forget this, but BC always works backwards, you know. So yes. <laughs> oh, would you hand me the chocolates, please? <laughs> we have a big a big box of chocolate candies. Um. Yeah. So anyway, so that means he probably lived through the destruction of Jerusalem in 586. Which was around the time of Jeremiah, right? Yeah. So he, he's, this is kind of his time frame. And that, that's important because it has a lot to do with his message. So um, I mentioned that he's different than a lot of the other, so the so-called minor prophets, right? The Book of the Twelve. He's technically uh, mi- one of them. Minor? Minor uh, prophets. Because you're a minor. Because they... You're mining. Because they mine the scriptures. Oh, Come on, I'm just going with the or thing. It was good. <laughs> you're blowing your nose. You're eating your chocolates. <laughs> Dude, I'm... <laughs> I'm I'm a mess today, dude. No, it's all right. I, you a, have every right to eat. I have a cold. I got a cold, Bob. That's mom with a cold voice. All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> so here's what makes him unique among the twelve minor prophets. He okay. he doesn't he doesn't contain any any oracles or warnings against Judah or Israel or any other nation. So most of the prophets, right? They have some oracle or some big word of warning. Unless you turn back, this will happen. You know, da 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 da. Habakkuk doesn't like isn't like that. So what it does instead, it's like a dialogue. It's kind of like a Q and A session between a faithful Israelite who's living in the midst of a really sinful, corrupted society, who's waiting for the fulfillment of all the prophecies of God that he is aware of. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So he's he's waiting. So what the book does is kind of take the 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 structure of remember that dialogue that Abraham had had with God about yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah, the back and forth. Jeremiah does the same thing. Moses. We had we just had the one from Moses a couple weeks ago, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. So that's sort of the tone that the whole book of, of Habakkuk has. And the the kind of theme question is how long, oh Lord, are you gonna let evil prevail? How long is this society going to be so corrupt, so entrenched? I mean, you are God. You've promised us all these things, but look around. It's just a disaster. And if, if you kind of consider the period in which he's, he's writing, which was the same around the time of you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and these other guys, you can kind of feel the weight of this. Israel in the north is now gone. The kingdom, the kingdom had a civil war. Israel has now been destroyed up north. The Assyrians have wiped him out. Um, the southern kingdom does, isn't faring too much better. The promises that were made to Abraham, they're going to have land and a kingdom and be a blessing. They're all in jeopardy. Everything's kind of falling apart. Um, and so he's asking, okay, what's the deal, God? Yeah, how long? Yeah. How long do we have to endure this? And that's precisely what the reading says. That's how it opens, by saying, how long, O Lord? I cry for help, but you don't listen. I cry out to you, violence, but you don't intervene. Which, I, I mean, I think it's really profound because it strikes a big chord with us today. I mean, if, if you can't see ourselves... In this reading, I think we're missing something. I mean, how long, oh Lord, is the world just going to be in the shape that it's in? How long, you know, we cry violence. Look at the world. There's. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why it's funny to me. <laughs> I mean, how long are we going to have oh. to endure the world as it is? Yeah. I mean, you look around and it's like the radical instability of the Middle East. Oh. Actually, somebody on Facebook um, had posted this um, map of Europe over the last thousand years. Okay. And you just press play on it. It's this little video, and and it just shows the insanity of the shifting borders. Really, and all of the wars and strife and people and governments up and governments down and people. It was, I, I, it was really kind of intense to actually consider. Like the the normal state of the world is not peace. No, it's not. It it, it is strife, and we like sit in the middle of this, and and like. We have an idealism. I mean, that th- there is a possibility and a potential right. for peace. Right. 
Um, and we work, we work for that, but man, it well, is pretty ruthless. Well, maybe in that, if you, if you keep that in mind, maybe the danger is maybe the problem with our culture is that we don't ask the question of Habakkuk because we're not expecting it anymore. We're not expecting it to be a how long we're just, this is just the world. I mean, this is, you know, Pope Francis has been making a lot of headlines and saying a lot of kind of confusing things that I'm not entirely sure all of what to do with. But one of the underlying things he keeps saying and, and sort of reiterating yeah. is that we really do have a culture of hopelessness. Yeah. That is fundamental to this. We have a culture where there is no hope for anyone, for the the unborn, for the elderly, for the youth. We're just a hopeless people, and Abandon we don't all even hope ye who, ye enter, who enter here. Yeah. But we don't even have the wherewithal sometimes to ask Habakkuk's question. Okay, how long is this going to last? It just is. The world just is awful. It's dark. It's yeah. brutal. And Habakkuk is living in the midst of that, but he re- at least he's holding out some hope. He's like, I know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is not the status quo. This is the way it's been, but it's not supposed to. It, it ought not. And read what he keeps saying. Why do you let me see ruin? Why must I look at misery? Destruction and violence are before me. Which is There's the strife. Which is in clamorous discord. Yeah. This is the question that everybody asks. If God exists, then why, oh Lord, why would these things be? Right. Yeah, and I don't know. Well, it's funny. I was teaching a class on Matthew yesterday, and we were looking at this passage from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 has this really interesting passage about, remember Isaiah 6 is when Isaiah is caught in the throne room of God, and there's that scene. He says, oh, man, I shouldn't be here. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And the seraphim comes and touches his, his mouth with the burning coal. Remember that whole deal? Yeah. And uh, so he's cleansed, and it's this big scene. And God says, okay, I want to send somebody to be my messenger. And, and Isaiah says, well, I'll do it. Here I am, Lord. And he says, okay, this is what I want you to tell the people. He says, tell them uh, their hearts have grown fat and their eyes have grown heavy and they're hard of hearing. And they're basically going to be blind and deaf and not understand what's going on. That's the messenger to preach. And if I'm reading that and if I'm hearing God, okay, I want you to be my messenger to go make the world blind and deaf and dumb. My answer to that would be, why? Why do you want me to do that? But Isaiah's answer is, how long? How long are they going to be blind? How long are they going to be deaf? He realizes, just like Habakkuk does, this is not a permanent situation. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's a temporary reality that's going to be lifted. I think we sometimes forget that, yeah. which is why the next thing that Habakkuk says is actually really uh, really big for us. He says, so then the Lord answered me. Then, then you get the answer. Okay, so how long, Lord? Well, then he answered, and he says, okay, write down the vision clearly upon these tablets so that one can read it readily, for the vision still has its time. <laughs> <laughs> um, presses on to fulfillment and will not disappoint. Bishop uh, Robert Merlino, he was a bishop, he's in Wisconsin now, but he was in Montana. And that was the little uh, line on his coat of arms as bishop. He's like, the vision, it said, the vision will not disappoint. That there is something deeply ingrained in all of us that we know how, the only reason we know that the world is such a mess is because we have some sense within us of how it's actually supposed to be. Yes. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a problem. It would just be normal. But for none of us, this is actually normal because we have a sense that there is actually, we just know what it ought to be somewhere deep in our hearts. Even if we don't know what that looks like, we recognize its lack. So this is what he means. The vision that is within you, it's not going to disappoint. Um, if it delays, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not be late. The rash one has no integrity, but the just one, because of his faith, shall live. Part of the interesting thing about that line, the, the, the just one or the righteous one, because of his faith, shall live, that, was, that actually later became Martin Luther's... Um, mantra that was his big statement to uh, for his sola fide the righteous one who lives by faith the righteous one lives by faith 
And he, he added the sola to that. And he's like, well, it's faith alone then. And I think he was missing the whole context of Habakkuk. It's not just... Do you know when uh, you said that, I thought you were talking about Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason? Did you really? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Martin Luther... With the other one. I was like, I thought he had like a dream or something and the vision. For... <laughs> so I was getting all confused, dude. That no, is oh, confusing. You're, you're, you're talking like the 95 Thesis, yeah. Martin Luther. That's the one. Like the Luther and Martin Luther. That's the one, yeah. Martin yeah. Luther of Luther. But this was, but he misread it. I mean, what he's not seeing is, okay, Habakkuk is saying that the righteous one will live by faith. Yeah. What is faith? Well, faith is not just rotely believing something. It's not an intellectual practice. It's not, it's not just something that kind of happens outside of us and is infused in us merely, but yeah. it is this process of looking at the world and seeing disaster around us yeah. and trusting, wait a second, there's more that my eyes cannot see to this. Mm. That is faith. There is a God. He is good. He does love me, even if every one of my senses says the opposite. Yes. That's what it means to live by faith. And that's what Habakkuk is getting at. And that, I think, is the uh, lens through which we have to read all the other readings. So take that. Take that. that in your pipe and smoke it. Tobacco pipe. We, we are in I'm Boulder, so we, have, so we have to be careful about okay, I'll be careful. Say, saying things. No. Because then the people will get confused. <laughs> <laughs> and and the vision will disappoint. <laughs> the vision will disappoint. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yes, it will. <coughs> At that point, that's yeah. respond to the song. <laughs> yeah. If I hear his voice, I will harden out my heart. That's not what I do. I will let my heart go soft for you. All right, a couple words about Psalm 95. Um, Psalm 95 in the tradition of the church, both in the East and West, yeah. Psalm 95 is, is often read in the Psalter at the very beginning of the day. The, it shows up in the morning, in the liturgy of the which the, Yeah, which they call it the invitatory. Yeah, the invitatory, yeah. So it's, it's in the beginning. And um, so, the you know, as the day commences, you know, we, um, we're thinking about exalting the Lord, shouting for joy to the God of our salvation, confessing before him, you know, falling on our faces. All these things mark our prayer during the course of the day. This is all what's going to happen. Um, and uh, it, it goes on to talk about these ways in which, um, you know, why should we give glory to God? Why should we rejoice? Well, because of his creation, he's created us in a certain way. It's basically the concept of creation and election. That's kind of what this all comes down to. He has given us this creation which is actually beautiful and which speaks of him. But not only that, we are elected in a certain sense. This is, this is one of the problematic things in the Old Testament. Why is Israel supposedly better than everybody else? Well, they're not better than everybody else, but they have a vocation that everyone else doesn't have. They are to be the light to the world, the ones to go out and bring the world back. It's the same thing that Jesus tells us in the Gospels, his disciples. We're supposed to be the light to the world. We are elected not because Christians are better than everybody else, but because we have a particular job to go out and bring the world back. Which, again, that's also what Pope Francis has been talking so much about. How do you actually do that? Well, you actually have to get in people's lives and get to know them and begin conversations yes. so that you can draw them into the family. But that, yes. that's very good. And so that that's all. It's great stuff. It's beautiful stuff for a psalm. But the psalm also sees a, a component of danger, right? Which is basically that um, the fact of our election, the fact of the creation that speaks to him, memories can fade, we can get forgetful, and the heart can be hardened. Um, and there, there's this reference, like you mentioned, the Massa and Meribah, this idea, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as at the offense to me on the day of temptation in the desert where your fathers tempted me and put me to the test, and beheld my wor- uh, even though they beheld my works, for 40 years I was offended by that generation and said, they will wander in their hearts and they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath they will not enter into my rest. Imagine this. 
you're in the situation where you're Israel in the desert, you're wandering for 40 years, that's a lot of time to kind of become forgetful and think to yourself, wait a second, why are we wandering out here again? Why are we stuck in the desert? Why are things so glum? Why are we basically homeless? How long, oh Lord, are we going to have to endure this? Yeah. And if you can, if, if the people of God can have faith and remember, see, the thing about Habakkuk, it's not merely looking ahead to the future. The vision in the future won't disappoint. But that vision is also one in the past. We have to realize where we've come from, how we got here, because there are consequences to things we do. And if we can remember our past and, number one, how we got into these situations that we're in, but also how God has actually been faithful to his people in the past. God has never failed to bring his people out of their even self-imposed exiles oftentimes. He will do that. And if you can remember that past, which the psalm is reminding us of, then we can remember the future and the vision that will not disappoint, that is still coming. But again, that's kind of the definition of faith. How do you do that? Well, you have to trust beyond what your senses are telling you, beyond what you can see into what God has done in the past and will certainly do in the future. I think that's what the psalm is kind of reminding us of. Which is exactly what you have to do to bring somebody into an authentic place of healing, actually, in their lives, Mm. is to, oftentimes when we look back, we see the negative and hurtful things in our past. Yeah. And to actually see how there's beautiful and awesome graces, even in the woundedness of of life. That's a ton of spiritual direction right there. And that's actually why the work that you do to do biblical interpretation and to understand the literary patterns is the same work that you're doing in your own life. Yeah. To actually live a life healthy in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even in that's our it. self-imposed exile. Yeah, that's it. That's absolutely it. Which brings us to Second Timothy. 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 We've been in the Timothys for a while, um, which remember, they're the pastoral epistles, which is the, these letters that Paul is writing to his pastors, the people he's ordained. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is kind of cool because you get the moment that of, of ordination. So he's, he's talking to uh, Timothy. Second Timothy, though, Oh, yeah, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 2 Timothy is one of Paul's last letters. It, which, this one feels more mellow than the other ones. Like, like it's actually, yes. it's like, like it's a softer tone. It than, is. Than even for, first Timothy is like, he was kind of coming down on him. I think part of it is that, I think if I'm remembering this correctly. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to do that away from the I microphone. I don't know why it's so funny to me. I'm like a middle school boy. Just sounds like that. Make me laugh. Good job. I'm trying to remember we, we my... We edit that one out. That Why? One, that one was gross. They're all gross. <laughs> if, you know, that's, <laughs> if that's you, a slippery slope. If today you hear my nose, <laughs> hard and not your heart, okay? That was really funny. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I know I often make fun of your jokes, but that one's really good. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> not always. Just, okay, okay. Okay, anyway. Um, I think, though, that if I'm remembering correctly, First Timothy and Titus are more kind of business-related letters. So, I, And I think they're more more than anything, they're, they're meant to be originally read to the whole congregation, that everyone's kind of hearing what are the roles and responsibilities of these new bishops, you know, da-da-da-da-da, they're, you know, this is what you should do, this is how you should live, et cetera, et cetera. Second Timothy is a little bit different. Second Timothy is much more of a personal letter from Paul to his, his spiritual son, Timothy, written at the very end of his life. This is the letter where Paul says, you know, I'm about to be poured out like a libation. I'm about to be sacrificed. I'm, I'm reaching the end, and I hope that I've run the race, you know, well, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's the end of his life. It's a whole different tone than the others. But uh, listen to what he says. So, beloved, I remind you to stir into flame the gift that God gave you through the imposition of my hands. What's he talking about there? 
Ordination. His ordination to the episcopate, literally. This is when he was ordained a priest or a bishop. He's a bishop now. Yeah. Which in the other church, there wasn't much of a difference. Um, eventually, as the church grew, they would just pick one priest to oversee the other house churches. Overseer is where we get the word epi- episcopos. So an overseer. That's where bishops became separated from priests. So eventually, mm-hmm. originally, they were all elders or overseers of a particular church. But then the churches grew and there were more of them and they expanded. And so you'd have one overseer who would oversee a bunch of them. Oh, and nice. that's how you began to have episcopos. And there's a point in Acts of the Apostles where Paul uses the words presbuteros and episcopos, elder and bishop, interchangeably. So anyway, a little bit of church history. I think it's interesting. But I mean, here you see, I mean, again, anybody who questions the structural nature of the church in the first century is, look, there's imposition of hands. There is ordination happening here already in the New Testament. So it's it's all there. Um, and then it's one of my favorite passages. I used to keep a little card. Since high school, I kept a little card from a Bible study I was in. And a buddy of mine named Forrest actually wrote this verse out for all of us cool. that we keep in our pockets. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather one of power and love and self-control, um, which I've always loved that passage. Dude, that's awesome. It, it reminds me of what's painted in the room that they, the uh, Adal Ward, that uh, is uh, right where all the football yeah, yeah, players yeah. right before they come out. Yeah. Um, what is painted there? I don't know, but I remind, it reminds <laughs> you of this. I just cool. remember like, yeah. So. I'll have to look. Yeah, we can look this Saturday. Okay. The Oregon game, Oregon, Oregon Ducks. So do not be ashamed of your testimony to the Lord, nor of me, a prisoner for His sake. But bear your share of hardship for the gospel and the strength that comes from God. What does this have to do with everything? It has everything to do with the first reading. Remember, what's Habakkuk doing? He's living in the midst of strife and hardship, and his act of faith is asking this question: How long, O Lord? But asking that question, knowing that there is an answer, there is an end point, there is a point where. What is invisible will be revealed. The veil will be lifted and he'll see the world for what it is. And it won't be defined by violence and strife and everything else. That's precisely what Paul is asking Timothy to do. He says, uh, don't be cowardice. Don't be ashamed of your testimony. Don't be ashamed of me, a prisoner for his sake. Paul's in prison at this point, which if you read Paul's other letters, there's some of the times the churches are using that imprisonment and all the stuff that Paul suffers to disprove his legitimacy as an apostle. Well, look, God doesn't love you. Look, you're always in prison. You're always getting beat up. You're always getting scourged, whatever. (laughs) That's proof that God's not with you. And Paul always says the exact opposite. No, no, no. That's actually more proof than I am an apostle because I'm actually embodying what Jesus did. So, Timothy, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be freaked out when suffering comes, when there is strife. Because it's not something to be freaked out about. It's something to, Mm. that actually defines our life. That's, That's how we operate. We know that there's an end, though. We know that there's light. We know that that doesn't, I just said that defines us. But the suffering, that's the point. The suffering doesn't define us. It's the it's strength the of meaning. God right. that defines us. Not, I mean, again, that's beautiful. I mean, as, as somebody who leads a, a congregation, I would say that, like, dude, it's intense. I mean, that's yeah. that's really something that you need encouragement in once you're once you're going, man. Yeah. So, yeah, totally. And, and, and this is what I know. No priest... Um, every priest knows that they have to take up the cross yeah. and that if they are unwilling, the priest after them will have to do it. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> that's I mean, brutal. Like, like that's the thing. And that's where you, wow. that's where you say, what battles am I actually going to fight while I'm wow. here? Because, uh, if I don't fight them, somebody's going to have to fight them. Wow. That's never thought about it that way. Yeah. So, wow. Lift all the cross. 
the love of Bryce Coldplay. Do you know that joke about the guy who comes to Mass and he goes to the priest and he complains? He says, Father, this is why I never come to Mass, because we always sing the exact same hymn every time I come. It's Christ, Jesus Christ has risen today. <laughs> uh, Dude, that's the punchline right there. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, that is the punchline. Because <laughs> only, we only sing that at Easter. Yeah. It only comes I'll... I should you, you should. You didn't need to say it. You cheapened Sorry. it, dude. Oh, Come on. You just like trust the people. I, we have to work on your trust. <sighs> My, we do. You, you have trust I'm issues. Still, this is why this is a good reading for me. <laughs> All right. So the gospel. <laughs> oh, shoot. You need to have have faith in the people, my friend. All right. Have faith in the people. They will answer in ways that you never understood or believed that they could. Yeah. Already. <laughs> All right. So Luke, Luke seventeen. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at your pain, your, your Dude, strife. That my strife. I'm bearing my hardship for the gospel. I know you are right for, here on, on for, the, right for here your on sake the, on the air. Right, on the air. All right. So Luke chapter 17. This is a hard one. Okay, that's a weird one, isn't it? No, dude. Okay, I kind of get. Well, there's a couple of things that are. There's a lot of weird stuff. Like <laughs> I, at first glance, I've heard it so many times that I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. But like I was kind of digging in, and I thought, okay, hold on. Hmm. <laughs> this mulberry tree. Putting it, it like like a, why would Jesus use this as an example? There's a lot of funny things in this one yeah. where like I'm I'm kind of I mean I like deal with the fact that Jesus is like saying okay you know why don't you you know finish your work and then you can sit down and then well and then mustard and that's kind of, I it's, don't it's like mustard and mulberries and dinner like <laughs> is it's Jesus hungry this is my question he's always talking about food frankly he, he really most is most of the time all right well first of all okay how does he how do we how does the church choose to begin this reading by the apostles coming to the lord and saying increase, increase our, our faith. faith so what have we been talking about in all these readings the theme is what is, what is faith i thought it was truth i thought we were talking about like truth I'm just kidding. Uh, I got you. You no. can like you look like you're gonna pull out my eyebrows. I wanted to pull out your eyebrows. That's gross. All right. So they want to know what they want their faith increase. And the Lord replied, "If you have faith the size of the mustard of the mustard seed, you would say that." I mean, he might have just been standing next to a mulberry tree. He yeah, might have, it might have been just proximity. I was reading the fathers on this. They're it, really big. Mulberry trees are very, very big. Maybe oh, that's okay. a part of it. And mustard seeds are very small. Are very so, small. So maybe we're just talking about the size of things. It it could be as simple as that. I mean. Um, Why would you use? I mean, okay, we're talking about an mustard abstract. seeds are tiny. I don't know of any seed smaller than a mustard seed. Have you seen a mustard seed? No, they're really little. I've got some down in my office. Mustard seed, do. mustard seed, looking for a mustard seed. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but part of what he's saying, I mean, look at what he look at what he answered. They said, "Increase our faith." The Lord said. I, the Lord seems to be implying, well, I'm not, I'm not going to. <laughs> it's not. I don't want to say it's not possible because that's not, that's not right. Um, but he's saying I'm not going to infuse, I'm not going to magically infuse you with faith all of a sudden. He's saying if you had this faith that yes. you acted upon, oh, then you could actually already do this. You should actually be able to do this because you were already created in this way. You've been brought into the covenant family. You should actually already have it. Yeah. Is how I kind of am taking his words in a certain sense because he he almost avoids the question. Yeah. But he presumes something on them. Um, I don't know. Yeah. As far as the trees go, I don't know any. Uh, mulberry trees are, are massive and mustard seeds are really, really tiny. And the sea is huge. And the sea is big. And my boat is so small. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when things get even weirder, I think. Yes. 
Um, so, and, and then, so, okay. So he says, who among you would say to your servant who has just come in from plowing the field or tending the sheep in the field, come here immediately and take your place at the table. Would he not rather say to him, prepare for me something to eat? Put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink. You may eat and drink when I'm finished. He is grateful that the servant, he is, is he grateful to that servant because he did what it was commanded? So should it be with you. And that's weird, but I think part of it is, there's probably more to this I'm missing, but I think part of it is simply, we shouldn't be expected to be commended for simply doing the job of a Christian. And I think we have this expectation, you know, if I'm, I don't know. I mean, this is what we have to keep in context of what the apostles are saying. The apostles are about to suffer tremendously and they're already going. I mean, they've already, it's chapter 17 already. So people have already rejected them. Jesus has already had his life threatened a few times by this point. Yeah. Um, times are, times are hard. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Times is hot. Times is real hard. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus knows what's going to happen there. What does it mean that they have to increase their faith? Well, he's basically saying, just go do the job, go carry the cross. Um, if you do it well, you're not going to be, you're not going to be given a big gold star for doing. I mean, yeah, which because is, it's which what's is expected. Right on. Yeah, there, there's a. You're not doing anything extra. You're living the life of a Christian. I think sometimes we want to. Oh man, I just went through this horrible thing, and this person was mean to me, and we kind of expect to just be like, "Oh, I'm so, so you know." We want to commiserate with people, I, and I, I think what Jesus is saying is that's just the life of a Christian. I was get used to it. Yeah, I was. Well, I was at a, a comedy show, uh, Mike Verbiglia, and, and and he he has this whole comedy bit about talking about how he uh, he was like keeping custody of his eyes on the train. Really? Yeah. Is he a Christian or Catholic? Or? Uh, he's a fallen away Catholic. Oh. But he he was like talking about how he was keeping custody his custody of his eyes on the train, and how he wants like a big gold star for <laughs> from his girlfriend right. for yes. like keeping custody of That's his eyes. Exactly. And like and and it's like, but yeah. no, you're just expected to do it. You're and expected like, to do that. Yeah. And like, where, whereas the other guys like like creepily just like going like yes. salivating and drooling, and he's like, but I'm a good guy. I even you know and like. But yes. this is, I just did what I'm obliged to. And that's the increasing problem in our society, I think. I actually just heard a show on NPR, or a news piece on NPR. They did a study, or somebody was doing, I don't know if they were doing a study. Anyway, there were these experts on. <laughs> I heard, caught the tail end. But there's, apparently there's been all these news stories lately in the media about, I don't know, there was some guy who, uh, basically people doing good deeds. And people love these news stories, and they, they catch fire. There was this person who, uh, a bl- it was a manager of like a KFC or something. And a blind guy was there, and this blind guy dropped a $20 bill, (coughs) and another lady in line behind him just grabbed it and pocketed it. And the guy stood up for the blind guy, and he was like, no, get out of here, and he gave him $20 of his own. And it's this huge, mind-blowing thing. It's all over. It's on every headline. You know, it's every good, feel-good piece story and the national news. And these psychologists were saying, you know, that's, that's good. We should encourage good behavior and stuff, but gosh... He just did what any decent human being should probably do. Yeah. And are we change? The question was basically: Are we changing the whole psychology of our society by seeing good deeds? Oh, and there's these these other guys. I think it was these these high school kids or something. They were mistake. I don't know the story. They were mistakenly locked after some store closed, a grocery store closed or something, and they didn't realize it had closed, and they were still in there. And um, so they were buying these things, and they just decided to leave oh, money yeah. on the I counter. Saw right? I saw that. Yeah, yeah. You saw it because it made national news, and they were like, "Why should young people paying for the things that they bought? <laughs> why should the fact that they didn't steal? Why should that be national news? I mean, it's commendable. Great. I'm glad that they did that. But are we changing our whole psychology to where 
not just doing what's right becomes this heroic thing, but more to the point, not doing what's right becomes just the norm. Well, I'm super corrupt. I would probably steal. You know, I would take that woman's $20 bill, whatever. That's the norm because these people are exemplary because they didn't do it. That puts them kind of on a pedestal, which means I'm not really expected to do very much. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Which this that's what I thought of when I'm hearing this. Well, this is the th- this is the other part is that um uh Thomas Aquinas will talk about how obligatory acts, acts that you are obliged to do. Yeah. If you have a responsibility to do them, even if you have no affection for the actions themselves, it's actually a more perfect act. Yes. Yeah. Because you're doing it out of um, obligation. Out of obligation and, and obedience in a certain sense. Obedience and reason. You yeah. say, this yeah. is what I'm supposed to do. And not just right. because it feels great to do. You're just right. like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna right. to do this yep. and because it's right. And that, that actually is a more perfect act than... Right. Now, is it great if our feelings are and our emotions are are, um, are are integrated into that? I think I think it's wonderful, and I actually but think, that's icing on the cake. Yes, but you know? the, but to be able to do the obligatory reality. Now, th- that's the thing is that is that increase our faith. Do you believe me? Then act. Yeah, exactly it. That's exactly it. And that's again that takes us all the way back to Habakkuk, which you put you cha- change the context for a minute, and you're a guy like Habakkuk who is surrounded by people doing the exact opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. Habakkuk alone is kind of holding out hope and saying, how long are we going to have to endure this? But he's not, he shouldn't be necessarily, he's a great man, he's a prophet, he is canonized in the sense of his book is part of the canon. But he's doing what he's supposed to do. That's what he's supposed to do. The fact that every single person around you, I mean, if every single person around us decided that abortion was a good idea and we were the sole people left in the country who believe that it was a bad idea, yeah. that doesn't make us superheroes. That means that you're the only ones that are actually doing the right thing. Yeah, you're just the sheer quantity of people doing the wrong thing doesn't change the status that no, it's still some, it's still what you're just supposed to do. Yeah, that right? was yeah, that was what my mom told me once. I was somebody was treating me really bad, and I was like, dude, I'm gonna get up in their face and do exactly what they're doing to me. Lex right. Talionis, man, right. eye for an eye. Right. And my mom was like, oh, that's really good. She's like, she's like, mm, yeah, so, so basically that just gives you a permission to be a bad person and, and to do the bad thing that they're right. doing. Oh, okay, I see what that is. But that's was, what most people think, I think. I think I even know. some people are listening to this and their ears are kind of like, mm, yeah, okay, I guess that's not. It's logical. I mean, it act, well, it it's, seems logical. It's love and logic, okay? <laughs> this is a good parenting style. That is a good parenting style. Except for I think love and logic really actually does involve giving gold stars. Again, yeah, like we give a, our kids gold stars. There's stick, a sticker board. You know what? The sticker board works. I know. I saw my friend Therese Chavez. She had a post at the end. Of, she had a Facebook post and she was like, okay, so how come the stickers work so freaking well? It's true. They do. Kids yeah. like stickers. Well, I, I do too. You get a gold star today. Thanks, for Father. For, um, for like really helping me. Thank you, Father. <laughs> and my faith is the size of a mustard seed. So I'm going to ask you to move. Oh, <laughs> toss me into the sea. <laughs> I'm going to toss you into the sea. And, you know, this is the thing. This was, I think this was a hard reading. I, it was a hard gospel reading in particular today. Yeah. Um, so these are our thoughts. If you have thoughts, please send them to us. Send us an email. We, we want to know what you guys are thinking, too. Um, we asked you that a long time ago, but we want to reiterate that. We want it to be a conversation between us and you. Conversation. Like so write us uh, an email on Facebook. 
Friend yeah. us on Friendtrist. <laughs> Friend us on Friendtrist and tweet us on on in, pin inst- Twitter. Instagram us on Instagram. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, dig us on dig. Stumble upon us on stumble upon. What else? I'm looking. I don't even know what the social know. outlets are. Oh, dude, let's social li- outlets. Link us on LinkedIn, but I hate every LinkedIn <laughs> invitation that I oh, get. Oh, LinkedIn invitations, man. RSS us on RSS feeds. <laughs> email us on the email. The email. The email. Uh, Time YouTube to check the email. Oh, Homestar Runner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back next week. I hope. And that is unless some sort of cataclysmic event tries to stop us. But we'll still podcast we'll still from find it. A way. Yeah, don't we'll worry, find a way. Don't, don't worry about that. We're yeah. expecting snow on Friday, so we'll see how that goes. Oh, dude. Snow way. Oh, well done. On that happy note, we will see you next week. Goodbye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.